0: Once again, we are turning to God's Word this morning, and I again invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, and we are looking at Mark chapter 10 this morning. As you're turning there, I remind you that the last two weeks we've spent looking carefully at Jesus' words regarding uh, His intent for marriage. I think it's hard for us to overemphasize the significance of God's word as Jesus called the Pharisees to see and to love and to pursue God's intent for marriage from the beginning when he created mankind male and female and then called them into a one flesh covenant of marriage together. As you know, if you were here, we argued that we are to follow God's will and pattern above all to honor our king. the one who created us and saved us. But we also follow it because it's good for us to live as God intended us to live and created us to live. Now, as we're back in Mark 10, you may recall from the very first verse of this chapter that uh, the context was Jesus teaching the crowds. And today we're going to find out that part of these crowds were a group of parents who were bringing their children and desiring Jesus to bless them. And it's this assembly of parents and children that lead to the next conversation and teaching opportunity, if you will, between Jesus and his disciples. And we'll follow with me. We'll read Mark 10, just uh, verses 13 through 16 this morning. Listen to God's word. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and ask that you would use it, that you would speak to us by your spirit, that we might know Christ and his salvation all the more. And we pray it in his name. Amen. This past week, uh, perhaps you, like me, uh, enjoyed being outside. It was 60 degrees. Reminded us that spring is coming. And if you are uh, part of Lancaster County, you know that spring also brings yard sale season. That's that uh, great time of year when you try to get other people to pay for what you're going to throw away anyways. But if you've been around yard sales, you know that a lot of times you have these little circular stickers, and they're pre-printed with 50 cents, 75 cents, a dollar, three dollars. You can slap them on your items. And if you have children in your home, undoubtedly, uh, before or after a yard sale, you find those stickers stuck on things all over the house. And if your house is like mine, undoubtedly, the kids will put them on themselves at some point and say, you know, uh, mommy, I'm for sale for 50 cents. And then, of course, maybe they would say, well, uh, you know, Mom and Dad, how much would you sell me for? <laughs> and, of course, that gives us the, the chance to affirm that it would be a bazillion, gazillion dollars could never, you know, buy, buy them. But then the question is, why? Why are our sons and daughters worth so much? And, of course, we could tell them it's because they're the most amazing, most unique, most sparkly princess in the whole world. Uh, that would be befitting of our uh, self-esteem age, perhaps. And, but it's probably unhelpful and overly puffing up our heads with specialness and uniqueness to go that direction. But we must affirm their value. Because the disciples in our passage went the other way and diminished that truth. They needed to rem- be reminded of their fault, which was assuming that children were not actually important enough to deserve Jesus' time and attention. In response, Jesus opens his arms to these children and affirms their value as eternal beings who are worthy of the kingdom of God. As we'll see this morning, Jesus declares both that children are invited into God's kingdom, and second, that children demonstrate for all of us the way into God's kingdom. And I want to look at both of these points and our time together, so let's begin in verses 13 and 14, where Jesus declares that children are part of the kingdom of God. As Jesus is teaching, parents begin bringing their children to Jesus that He might touch them. Now, as we look uh, across the three Gospels that mention this account, it seems that these are very young children. Luke uses the word for newborn infants when he talks uh, relates this incident. Matthew uses the diminutive term little children. And so we should picture parents bringing their, their babies, their toddlers, their young children to Jesus that he might set his hands on them and bless them. Unfortunately for these parents, before they can get to Jesus... They run into the self appointed bouncers of the kingdom of God. Uh, The disciples put a roadblock in their way. It says the disciples rebuked them or spoke harshly to them and wanted to keep them from Jesus. Now, before we judge the disciples too harshly, we should keep in mind what was probably going through their heads. Jesus, of course, is the Messiah. Jesus has come here to restore the kingdom of God and to redeem Israel and he's involved in a very important discussion with the Pharisees and the leaders of the day and so you can imagine the disciples saying parents this is not the time for the Messiah to be interrupted with some children Remember what we noticed a few weeks ago, that in the first century, children had no standing and no significance in society. And even even today, any administrative assistant will take it upon uh, him or herself to, to guard the way to the CEO's office so that uh, they can get done what they need to get done without unnecessary distraction? And how much more would they guard the way from maybe the lowest or the least taking his time and attention for frivolous reasons? So you can hear the disciples saying, sorry, parents, children aren't going to make it on the master's schedule today. And you can sort of read the subtext. And why would you think that they should? But in verse 14, Jesus rebukes his disciples. In fact, if you look at verse 14 there, you'll see uh, Mark uses a word saying Jesus was indignant at what the disciples had done. And this word indignant indicates a strong surge of anger that, that arises in you when you see injustice. You know, when you see something that's wrong, that's unjust, maybe someone more vulnerable or weaker being hurt by someone uh, over them. And that, that surge of anger just arises within you. And that's what this word for indignation Uh, draws our attention to. And, And Jesus was indignant for good reason because the disciples here are really doing nothing less than misrepresenting the character of God. They were communicating to the people who were coming, this is Jesus and he has no time for children. But Jesus' perspective is exactly the opposite. He sees children not as a distraction from his more important ministry but as those to whom the kingdom of God belongs. He is saying in the words of Sinclair Ferguson, I am king in the kingdom of God and I belong to these children and all those who are like them. In other words, the disciples here have attempted to block the way in the presence of Jesus for some of the very people that Jesus wants in his presence. It's no wonder he responded with indignation. And then he says strongly, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now I think it's important for us to recognize here when Jesus says, for to such belong the kingdom of God, he is not saying the kingdom of God belongs to such people who come like children or in the manner of children. That's the message of the next verse, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Jesus was saying here, even little children are suitable guests in the kingdom of God and are worthy of being in the presence of Christ. He was affirming the spiritual capacity of children, the spiritual importance of children in God's plan for his kingdom. Now does this mean that every child or at least every child who comes to the church is automatically saved of course not. It's not what it means at all, but such as them have a stake in the kingdom. Will children understand all of the spiritual truths that are taught them? Of of course, not fully. Will we always know whether a child from an early age has accepted Christ? No, we won't. It's the fruit of their lives in the coming years that will make that clear. But children are not unimportant. They too are immortal souls created by God, and they too are welcomed into the presence of Jesus In fact, far from being the lowest on the totem pole, far from being insignificant or having no standing in society, far from being such as shouldn't be bothering Jesus right now, little children, Jesus says, coming in helpless dependence upon him are just the kind of people that Jesus delights to receive into his presence and in his kingdom and though we might have some sympathy for the disciples given the mindset of the day they should have known better because all we have to do is is cast our mind back to the old testament and we find that god has always made children and inviting and involving children and speaking his word to children one of the highest priorities for his people Just think back over the Old Testament with me for a minute. Exodus chapter 12 verse 26, when the Lord instituted the Passover, families were to participate in the feast with their children so that children might ask, What do you mean by this service, Dad? Mom, why are we doing this? And Israel could tell them it is the Lord's Passover when the Lord struck down the Egyptians but spared our houses. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 19, Israel was commanded to teach the Lord's word diligently to their children, to talk of it when they were sitting in their house or walking on the way or lying down or rising up, to write them on the doorposts of their house, that their days and the days of their children might be long in the land the Lord was giving them. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, after listing chapters of the blessings and curses of the covenant, when, when the Lord is going to finally bring this covenant before the people, he commanded all Israel to gather men and women with their little ones, again, with their young children, that the words of God's covenant might be read to them. Why? Deuteronomy 31 says, "...that their children might learn to fear the Lord." Joshua 4, verse 6, Israel was told as they entered the promised land and crossed the Jordan River to bring up 12 stones out of the river and make a monument there. Why? So that their children would see them and remember what the Lord had done. Psalm 78, the psalmist declares that he will not hide from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord in his might. And we can keep going here. But all throughout the Old Testament, the Lord has emphasized the priority of the children being with the people in the Lord's presence, hearing the Lord's word, because to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, if this is true, can we step back for a minute and ask ourselves, well, what all does this mean for us? How does this apply to us? What's the importance of Jesus' teaching? And we can look at it in different layers. From the widest angle, these verses affirm for us God's heart and attitude towards children. You think about the logic that we've discussed the last few weeks, that we should not turn to Scripture and start by looking for a list of do's and don'ts. We should start by looking for God's intent and desire from the beginning. And then what do we find Well, we were reminded last week that God's desire for the beginning was for life, for children that we might multiply and fill the earth. Psalm 127 affirms that children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. We are reminded in Psalm 139 and and elsewhere that the Lord is the one who knits our children together even from the womb. And here Jesus raises the stakes even further, affirming that God loves and values children and considers even the smallest infant worthy of his presence and his blessing. And among God's people, our perspective must match God's perspective. And so how can we not grieve with such a deep grief when we look around us and find living babies in the womb killed and discarded and others openly encouraging us to do so? How can we not grieve when children are viewed as an inconvenience rather than a blessing? How can we not grieve when we look around us and see children subject to abuse and neglect and stuck in poverty without food and care? Uh, Now I recognize there are many different issues here and and ways to think about how to respond practically and, and politically, but among God's people there should be zero room, zero room, For any attitude that would devalue, not to mention destroy, the lives of children whom Jesus welcomes and values. There should be no question that God loves life, that Jesus affirms the value of infants and little children, and that our attitude and actions must match the attitude and actions of our Savior. That's what we see from the widest angle. Well, let's narrow in. How about for our church? How about for the ministries here at Westminster? Will we be reminded that our ministry to children is so important? The Lord wants his little ones brought into his presence, hearing his word. I think the significance becomes even uh, more apparent when we consider how many believers come to Christ as children. Uh, Those of you who know missions have probably heard before of the 1040 window, and it's a a term used to uh, refer to the areas of the world that have the most unreached people groups. But more recently, those in uh, missions and ministry have started talking about the four fourteen window. And this refers to the fact that somewhere between 65 and 85% of believers come to Christ between the ages of 4 to 14. And so our ministry to children takes on such a high significance. And so to those of you here, I know so many of you minister to our children, but let me thank you again and encourage every one of you who participates in our nursery and Sunday schools and Wednesday night clubs? I know perhaps behavior can be up and down at times. It can be wearying at times. Maybe you ask yourself sometimes, oh, how do I know if my efforts are really having any impact at all? But if that's you, be encouraged. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, you are handling Kingdom of God material. You are part of Jesus' command to open the door and let the little children come and hear the words of Jesus. You know, why do we as a church hope that many of you will volunteer for VBS or children's ministry? Why do we want to support Child Evangelism Fellowship and Bible to School and Bible Visuals? Why do we want children with us here in the worship service? Even if it might be a little less orderly or a little less quiet sometimes. Why do we want them here? Because Jesus commands that children be brought into his presence and says, no one should hinder them from coming because the heart of a child is fertile ground for gospel blessing and such as them belong the kingdom of heaven. Let's narrow it in even a little bit further. Parents, fathers and mothers who are here this morning, remember the importance of Jesus' teaching for you. Jesus affirms your children's spiritual capacity and spiritual value. When you hold your infant or are on the ground with your toddler or spend time with your 10-year-old, you are in the presence of the kind of being to whom the kingdom of God belongs. The kind of being who will exist for all eternity. The kind of being that Jesus shed his blood for. So do you take that seriously? Some of you might know the name of Charlotte Mason. She was a British educator in the early 1900s. Speaking to parents, she once said, To bring the human race, family by family, child by child, out of the inhuman desolation where God is not, into the light and warmth and comfort of the presence of God, is no doubt the chief thing we have to do in the world. And how are we to do that? Well, Mason says this. She said, How did the old cavaliers bring up sons and daughters in passionate loyalty and reverence for their princes and kings? Well, their own hearts were full of it. Their lips spoke of it. Their acts proclaimed it. Their very style of clothes, all as one proclamation of boundless devotion to their king and his cause. And if an English prince could command such measure of loyalty, what shall we say? of the chief among 10,000, the altogether lovely one, our own king of kings. Sounds a lot like Deuteronomy, doesn't it? Talk of the Lord and his cause when we are at home, when we go out, when we lie down, when we stand up, put it on the doorposts of our houses that our children might know the Lord and fear his name. So how are we doing, parents? And grandparents, so much of this applies to you as well. Are your, are your hearts evidently full of Christ? Do you talk of him? Are your acts and words and priorities, even our, our clothing and manner of life, proclaiming our boundless devotion to the king? Kids, those of you who are here this morning, maybe sometimes you feel like your parents are like a playlist stuck on repeat, and you just hear the same things over and over again at church and at home and And if you do, you need to hear from God's word this morning. It's not because your parents are ridiculous or have short-term memory issues or think that you're just going to forget everything they say. It's because this is what God tells parents to do. That you and your parents and your siblings might know Jesus and might obey his word. That you all might be together in the kingdom of God through faith in him. This is the preciousness of Jesus' words. And we could go on and on, but I want to move on now to look at verse 15, where Jesus adds a second statement. Here, Jesus declares that children demonstrate for all of us the way into the kingdom of God. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Clearly, Jesus is saying here that any one of us, who wants to be in the kingdom of God must receive the kingdom like a child. And you say, okay, well, that's fine and good. How do I receive it like a child? What does that mean? Well, it certainly does not mean that we're supposed to remain naive or ignorant. You might remember that Paul in 1 Corinthians and the author of Hebrews both says we're supposed to leave ignorance behind to grow in our knowledge of the Lord and of his word. Nor does it mean that we're to be immature, We have a a tally in my house reminding some of our children not to talk like babies if they aren't babies. We're not supposed to remain immature. We're supposed to grow up. So what is this referring to? Well, John Calvin puts it this way. Calvin says, Jesus calls us to have the nature of a child. what is the nature of a child? Some have suggested the nature of a child is one of angelic sweetness and innocence. But I can tell we have some parents of three-year-olds out there. Because if you do, you know the nature of a child is not sweet angelic innocence. No, instead I think there are two qualities of a little child that are to describe us and how we are to receive the kingdom of God. The first goes back to status and ability. You know, if Jesus had looked around at the Pharisees or maybe at men and women who were devoted to the law, perhaps we could have said, you know, they have really done well and earned the right to be in the kingdom of heaven. But no one could say that of a child. In fact, remember, Luke uses the word for infant and Matthew the word for a little child. I mean, can you imagine a parent holding their six-month-old child and saying, all right, little Jane... If you will vacuum the floor for me, you'll earn your dinner tonight. Well, of course not. That little child can't earn anything. It can't earn its dinner. It definitely can't earn salvation. And that's the whole point. A child has no worth to earn the kingdom of heaven. It's completely helpless. There is nothing that this infant being passed into Jesus' arms could do to prove itself worthy of the kingdom of God. And so it is with the kingdom. We must not think, as the disciples seem to think at times, that they are worthy of the kingdom or important in God's eyes and therefore will be let in. No, as one commentator put it, to receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A little child has nothing to bring, and whatever a child receives, he or she re- receives by grace alone on the basis of sheer neediness, for only empty hands can be filled. This is the first part of what it means to come, the nature of a child. This is, after all, the universal testimony of Scripture. Deuteronomy 7 7 and 8 reminded Israel that it was not because of their worthiness, not because they were the greatest in number of all the peoples that the Lord chose them, but only because the Lord set his love upon them. Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2 invites whoever thirsts to come to the waters and those who have no money to come by and eat. Thirst and need are what is required, not worthiness or wealth. And of course, all across the New Testament, Ephesians 2.8, 2 Timothy 1.9, Titus 3.5, over and over proclaim the same truth. By grace, we are saved. This is not your own doing. It's not of works. It is the gift of God. Some of you have probably heard the recent hymn uh, by Keith and Kristen Getty, which declares two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. And that's the key here, my unworthiness, my helplessness, like that of a little child, so that all that I can do is know my need and look to the blessing of my Savior, accomplished and given to us as a gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ. But I think there's a second thing we can say. We think about how this gift is received. How does a child receive a gift? With immediate and full trust, not with the cynicism or skepticism that we grown-ups who know better might do. I remember when she was three, my youngest daughter loved to jump into the pool for Kate and I to catch her. Problem was she had so much confidence in us That she would just recklessly jump Whether we knew she was jumping or not It was one of those scary moments Where we had to pay careful attention But going through her mind The only thing she was thinking is This is great and my parents will catch me And her complete confidence in us Never entered her mind That we wouldn't be right there to catch her But that's the full Complete dependent trust on the Lord That should characterize us as well It's the kind of trust the psalmist talked about in Psalm 37, verses 3 to 5, when he wrote, Trust in the Lord and do good. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. It's the kind of faith Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4, when he was describing Abraham and he wrote, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So utter helplessness, received in complete childlike trust. So the question for us this morning is, have you become childlike? Or have you Have you looked at your standing or your works or the money you've given or your not being as bad as other people I know? Have you recognized your unworthiness and helplessness? And have you looked in simple trust to the blessing of Jesus who invites you to follow him by faith into the kingdom? For Jesus delights to give the blessing of the kingdom, of life forevermore. That's the kind of Savior we have. That's what Jesus has come to do. That's the salvation he's offered if you're willing to receive it and to follow him like a child. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of Jesus who remind us of his heart for children and how I pray that as we consider children and minister to children and raise children, the words of Jesus reminding us of their significance in the kingdom of heaven. How I pray that you would encourage us, make us faithful to point them to the Lord. And how I pray that each one of us, Father, would receive the word like a child. Father, would we look to Christ, trusting in him and nothing in our own that we might receive his gift and blessing of the kingdom through faith in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.